Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're just in, down about eight shows now on banking on the kingdom and of course we looked at banking in the world and if if after listening to all that you think that bankers are your problem or the federal reserve is your problem or the the world economic forum is your problem or the democrats are your problem you missed the point of those eight shows <laughs> so so what is your problem? Well, your problem is your problem. And you can do something about your problems. That's the good news. But you need the good, good news in order to know what to do about your problem and how you got to where you are and where you are now so that you can find your way back. So we were going to shift gears here a little bit this morning. I was up about four or five hours ago working on exactly you know where we're going to go next in this series so that you can find your way back to liberty under God which is what the kingdom of God is all about is liberty under God where you have no other gods before you and what are those gods well we'll touch on that during the show so that you know because Paul says there's gods many so what's he talking about well if you don't know what he's talking about you'll probably think he's talking about something he isn't talking about and this is one of the big problems because we're in a time of great apostasy. And we're in a time of great apostasy because there's already been a great falling away. And the great falling away has gone unnoticed by all those who have fallen away. Because when they fell away, they found a substitute for the Holy Spirit. And they call it the Holy Spirit, but it's actually emotionalism. It's actually delusion. And it can appear as an angel of light. It can appear as a good thing. And it may even change your life, you know, where you were a drug addict before, now you're not a drug addict. And you say, look, Jesus saved me. And it's a good thing that you're not a drug addict. It's a good thing that you're, you know, maybe going to do something productive with your life. But it doesn't mean that you've got the Holy Spirit walking with you 24-7. Because the Holy Spirit listeth where it wills. I mean, you can shut the Holy Spirit out. Your salvation is in God, the Father, and Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And their essence is the same. That's what... That's where the whole idea of the Trinity was conjured up is out of the fact that there are these three entities, we'll call them entities, that are mentioned in the Bible. Uh, identities that are mentioned in the Bible. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the 
the fact is that this Holy Spirit that is functioning has been around from the beginning. And that functioning spirit can actually enter into you, but it's not going to force its way into you. It's not going to possess you because part of your identity as you were created in the image of God is that you are a free soul and you get to choose whether you're going to be under God, follow God, listen to God, have his values, his his uh, hierarchy of values, or not. And if you reject God, then you're going to end up finding some other God. Something else is going to be giving you your values. Just recently, I I heard uh, Jordan Peterson in a debate with somebody about, do you need God? And the, the one person said, absolutely not. And so then they turned that question to... Jordan Peterson, and he said, well, you you do need a hierarchy of values. Otherwise, your life is just confusion. And, and everybody has a hierarchy of values, whether they li- like to admit it or not. Even the, the worst immoral or amoral sociopath has a hierarchy of values. He just values himself above everything else. You know, if it feels good, do it. That's that's the hierarchy of his values. And it feels good to him to control and oppress other people because he has the spirit of what we would call evil. Of course, he thinks it's good. He that he His conscience is seared. And we've seen extreme cases of this. I have seen extreme cases of this with people who have murdered all kinds of people, mass murderers who go out there and shoot people. And shoot people randomly, just want to kill people, and with no seemingly no conscience, and nothing stops them, as far as their own personal conscience is concerned. But but they're in this for what they can get out of it. Now some of them are trying to commit suicide and don't have the courage to do it. Because they think that suicide is a relief. Almost everybody who jumps off a bridge to kill themselves changes their mind before they hit the ground or the water or whatever they're headed towards. But it's too late. They had the courage to jump, but they didn't have the power to stop falling. And of course, that's what we've been doing since we took certain steps in society, as a society, and accepted certain ideologies and called them doctrines, and tried to identify them as the doctrine of Jesus, but they're actually not. And and the amazing thing is, it's not hard to prove that many of these doctrines, that are doctrines of men, are actually going about uh, deceiving people. But it's easy to prove that it's, it, that's not what Jesus said. That's not what his doctrine was. It's not what Moses' doctrines were. That's a little harder to prove because you got to get into the Hebrew a little bit. And we'll get into a little bit of Hebrew today. But uh, we're, this is not a Hebrew class. I only, I, I'm going to bring up several words that are translated in the Bible. And they're translated lots of different ways. And I'm, I'll bring up several words that are translated into the same English wor- world sometimes. And at least three of them maybe four, I didn't get that far, <laughs> are translated 
in the same uh, chapter in the Bible, which is Deuteronomy 7. And and you wouldn't know that they're completely different Hebrew words because they're the same English word when you read them. So you're going to think the same thought when you read them, but the author used three different Hebrew words, completely different Hebrew words. Not only that, the root word that is supposedly the word that's in there, according to your like Strong's Concordance or Young's or whatever, the, the complete word is not represented when they show you it in the Strong's. In the actual original text, there's over half a dozen additional letters added to it. And some of them have removed letters and added letters to these words. And that's what we're going to get into because some of those letters that they added have a very unique meaning because they added them in a particular combination which you should not ignore whenever you find it. And of course, I'll tell you what at least one of the letters is, is a double tov. The double tov, it, it was used all the time. Not, I shouldn't say all the time, but it is used throughout history. And it represents something. Tav represents faith. So what does a double faith mean? Well, maybe we should wait to the end of the show before we reveal that. Partially so that you can ponder it yourself. Why would they say faith, faith? Why would they use this double tav? They have to... They could be magnifying it, but they could do that with the letter hey. They put it in twice because it's faith on two levels. So that's a hint. So but anyway, so we're gonna we're gonna go through and and look at Deuteronomy seven and hopefully we'll get into farther. There won't be an afternoon show today because I have to be somewhere else. But uh, we will I've been putting together an awful lot of stuff that could be very enlightening when you're looking for the way back. Uh, I just heard of a friend who was at a bunch of meetings. Uh, well, actually, a son of a friend who was at a bunch of constitutionalist meetings. And I, I saw the notice for the meetings. I didn't even read it because I just didn't have time and I wasn't going to go there. And they weren't inviting me to speak. <laughs> so... <laughs> And I know pretty much the rhetoric. I've been at this for half a century. Uh, looking at, well, I've been looking at it for more than half a century, but it, at least into this idea of, of, uh, you know, constitutionalism and all that. I've been pondering these questions for a long time. And, and we've written all kinds of books and all kinds of articles that show you that many of these people who think the Constitution is their salvation are also sadly mistaken. Because it's not just you think this is the cause of the problem. Thinking that this is the solution of the problem is is also a huge part of the problem. I mean, Romans hated Christians because they had another king, one Jesus who was their savior, their sautor. And and we show you this in the actual language of the trials of Christians early on, because we have those documents uh, that, you know, are copies of them that talk about the trials of Christians. Why were they being arrested by Romans and, and sometimes persecuted to death? 
Many times they weren't persecuted to death. I know that at the Nicene Council, you know, somebody uh, had written years ago, and I had read it, that, that many of the participants of the, and I think it was a minority, but there were people there at the Nicene Council that had about 319 bishops show up out of thousands, literally thousands. I mean, we had 1,200 known bishops at that time. That would mean that we're probably 2,000, 3,000 bishops, maybe more. I mean, numerically speaking, it would have to be, judging on the amount of Christians that are around, yeah, it, there would be tens of thousands of bishops out there. Because a bishop is just a minister of ten ministers. And ten ministers were just the ministers of ten families. Now, the families would consist of the eldest father, who was an elder of the family, and his married sons and unmarried daughters. His married daughters would be over in the other family now, of their husbands, generally speaking. Occasionally, men who might wanted to marry a daughter in another family, his own father was a jerk, and or maybe dead, or maybe... Uh, just disappeared, just wandered off. And he, he's literally the fatherless. He has no father around. Uh, he would marry into a family. So he would become an adopted son. The daughter would be his wife, but the elder of that family would be her father, not the father of the husband. So, this is an organic relationship. But family was the building block of the kingdom of God. The, The kingdom of God is composed of individuals, but those individuals are in a unit known as the family, the familias. And that family was an entity unto itself. Christ said so. He said, you know, man and woman, no more twain, but one. They're not two people, they're one, and their children belong to them, and so that's a unit. That's a geopolitical, economic unit. And the head of that family was the elder of that family. And those elders gathered together in groups of ten. And that made a free assembly, a congregation of people. They they did not join a congregation. They freely assembled with the congregation. And I, I, I pointed out, you could use the word join there, but I'm, I'm making a distinction. They were not members of a congregation because they, by walking with that congregation, they freely assembled. They could walk away any time. They had no obligation to that uh, congregation other than what was written in their hearts. It wasn't what was written in everybody else's heart. Everybody else's heart could not regulate you in that congregation because it's a free assembly. We don't have that idea. There are people that are running cults out there that control almost every aspect of the life of the people that are with them, and we can point at them and say, oh, that's a cult. But the the institutions we're in, how much do they control us? 
How much is our actions governed by them instead of the Holy Spirit? Christ said he was going to send the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit. He wasn't going to send you a minister or start a congregation or even a church that's supposed to be your comforter. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be your comforter. And if you go to church because it feels good, that's part of the problem. That's your choice to go to church to feel good, to get a feeling of good. Now, feeling good is not bad. But what's your motivation? To feel good or to do good? It doesn't say, seek the kingdom of God and a really good feeling. It says, seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. So, that's why you go to church, so that you can be workers of righteousness. So that you can help the church feed his sheep, which is your neighbor. Other people in your assembly and all the other free assemblies connected to those ten ministers and the minister they pick, which we call a bishop or overseer and episcopo in the Greek. And then he gets together with nine other men like himself, you know, on this several same rank. Rank is a word that was used in the New Testament by Christ. We don't see it translated that way, but it they they use the word symposia and uh, you can go to our Mark six and and read that or uh the word uh commanded. Look that up at Preparing You and we have an article that shows you all the Greek and and what those words actually mean and the words they translated and the words they didn't translate in those verses. But that's where Christ commanded us to organize ourselves in these ranks. But see, not just using the English word rank, you're thinking like rank in military. You know, like, you know, you're a private because you're just a lay person in a congregation and, and your deacon is going to be your sergeant and your minister is going to be your lieutenant. No, that's not the kind of rank that Christ was talking about. He was talking about an order of people where they ordered themselves. They sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. That's that's what they were supposed to be. There were 5,000 men and their families. So that we're talking 20,000, 30,000 people that had organized before there was going to be lunch. Before there was going to be any loaves and fishes. And so this is the way they were organizing because it's the way that Jews organized from the beginning. It's the way many, many nations organized. All the free nations that were able to remain free, they organized in this way. Of course, you know, some do it better than others and some mix in other stuff and that's what we're going to end up talking about is that mixing in of other stuff or the falling away of some of the precepts of God. Some of the guidelines that we see in the commandment, the ten statements of God. Telling you how it all works. So if you if you take out one of those, they all are going to fall. If you don't love your neighbor as yourself, if you don't love the nature of God, God Himself, the God, not not your image of God that you created in your mind, but the actual God that is the source of creation, 
Not the gods many of the world are going to tell you. Because that's what happens. Is your minister becomes your God because he starts setting your values. He says, you go to him and you say, is this okay? Is this okay? Can I do this? And he says, oh yeah, you can do that. You you can't do this. But you have to tithe to me. You always, You know, that's always in there somewhere. But he's not... He becomes your God because he's setting your values. And this is what Jordan Peterson said in his answer. We have to have this hierarchy of values. Otherwise, there's nothing but confusion and chaos. And everybody has it. But all the hierarchy of values everybody has are not the hierarchy of values of the Creator. And the Bible is trying to tell you what those hierarchy of values are. The Ten Statements are trying to tell you what's valuable, what's important. But if you misinterpret them to that element or to that degree that you misinterpret them, it, it can become confusion. And, and if you did that, you could end up with 40,000 denominations of Christianity. And actually, now they think there's a lot more, but... The point is, if you were all listening to Christ, there would be only one denomination. And because the church is a denomination of Christ. And so that that's our standard, to go back, and we're going to start a whole series on that eventually, showing you exactly what he said in the context of the day, in the language of the day, or at least the language of the Bible. Sometimes we'll refer to the Hebrew because he was probably not speaking Greek. <laughs> and there is a Hebrew Bible that somewhat survived. I I don't believe any of the translations that I see. And it's it's kind of a mix of Aramaic. But uh, there there are groups who have sustained what is reasonably close to probably a Hebrew Bible. But... You know, I'm fine using the King James as long as we take a look at we, well, you know, the Rosetta Stone of language, so that we, because if you got three, four, five different words translated into the same English words, you're going to miss something in that. I mean, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you won't. But I see a lot of people saying they have the Holy Spirit, and they seem to be missing it. And that's what we're writing down and showing people is to show them what is being missed and some of the ideas that come along with these doctrines of men that you need to set down. And we'll talk about the doctrine of Jesus, but the only one who can truly give it to you is the Holy Spirit. But if the Holy Spirit lists where it wills, how do you get it to come into your heart and to mine? Because Christ tells you. But I don't hear a lot of ministers. I hear a lot of ministers giving some of that, the words of Christ, lip service. But there's a huge blind spot that they just do not want to look at. And until you look at that, you cannot find your way back to the kingdom of God. You have Your thinking has to be changed. I don't want to change it. But I want to help you find that spirit that can change it. Because... Walking with the Holy Spirit is a, is a journey, and again, the journey is the destination. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, to find our way back, we go back to the beginning, and of course, sometimes we'll go all the way back to Genesis, but today we're just going to go back to Deuteronomy 7. And it begins with 
you know, when the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the uh, Perizzites and the Hivites and the uh, Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. So that's, he's not even finished with the sentence, and that's the first verse. But all these these groups, the Hittites and the uh, Girgashites and Amorites, and they mention Canaanites here too, but they're all Canaanites. They're all of this idea of the Canaanites, whatever Canaanite actually represents. Because it's not just a people, it's a way. They all, those were people following a way, but they were all a part of a certain political, geographical, legal system, economic system. And they're equated with the word Canaan, which has to do with being the merchants of men, the traffickers of men. And what they did is they snared men and made men human resources in their system. And they didn't snare them with a sword where, you know, they capture them and then they have to have them in chains all the time. They snared them like the Arab Balaam and the Nicolaitan. And they brought them into bondage because they offered them benefits. They offered them comfort. They offered them protection. They offered them security. They, they, they said, we will be the sauters of your life. I mean, you think about it in those days. If you're just a, you know, husband and wife and got some kids and some ground you're farming or some flocks, you're pretty vulnerable. You know, 10, 15 guys could get together and just raid your camp, kill you, rape your family, steal all your sheep and just go on. I mean, who's going to stop them? I mean, you're going to grab your cell phone and dial 911? No, they, you had to have some way of remaining strong. I remember a story when, uh, uh, the famous explorer Fremont was coming to our area of the country. And, uh, we have Fremont Ridge up here, uh, just above us. And he came down into our valley. He named this valley Summer Lake. Because he was been traipsing through the snow uh, up there on the high in the high mountains above us. I mean, we're pretty high; we're over four thousand feet, but that's higher. And there was all kinds of snow up there. And he come to the edge of this rim. It's kind of impressive when you walk out to the edge of the rim and you look down into this valley and you see all this water flowing everywhere and green grass everywhere, no snow anywhere. And so they made it down. Behind the store, what we call the store now, it's the only store for miles and miles and miles. It's just a little tiny store. And uh, he, he, he made it down the, the back uh, of that, that steep rim there. Uh, back on what we call the Pernal Place. And uh, came down into the valley and named it Summer Lake. Because behind us was 
Winter Ridge and the part that he came and looked over the edge was Stremont Point. He couldn't come down there, so he had to come along down farther and come down behind the Pernals. But he named this Summer Lake because it was so warm. But when he was traveling up in the mountains later on, he went out to Christmas Valley and he went around different places. And he was traveling up in the mountains and he was in this big opening area, probably open because the Indians had burned off the forest so that deer could graze and game could come. And he could see little Indian campfires, little Indian lodges all around this open uh, meadow and at a pretty good distance. Uh, but he could see them early in the morning, and they, it was some holiday, I can't remember which one, and they, they had a cannon with them that they kept dragging with them. It wasn't a real big cannon, but it was a cannon. And uh, they decided to fire off the cannon in commemoration of whatever holiday that was. And they fired the cannon, boom, in this open meadow. Well, you know, this is like somebody just spotted a flying saucer because these guys had not seen anything like that. These were these were real Indians. They were traveling in a large group of armed men, but they they they'd probably seen guns before, but a cannon, no. And when that cannon went off, all the fires went out. <laughs> well, whoever was sleeping in those camps quickly doused the fires and put them out and thought like, what the darnations is that? And, uh, but they were all camped there because if, you know, I don't know which Indians it were, it could be Paiute Indians or it could be the uh, Klamath Indians. If it were Paiute Indians, which chances are it was more like Klamath Indians, they, their fear was the Klamath Indians. And if they saw there was a band of Klamath Indians in the area, they'd have doused all their fires and got ready to run. But uh, it was probably Klamath Indians, and they didn't know what it was, so they put out all their fires. But theoretically, they would all come to each other's aid if somebody came and attacked one of those camps. And that's what the Israelites did. If somebody attacked an Israelite camp, all the Israelites that were written, the sound of a shofar, would come. And their salvation was in the Spirit of God, which cares about life and protects life and cares about his neighbor as much as he cares about himself. If if that wasn't a founding principle of the kingdom of God as Moses was setting it up, then when an Israelite was attacked by one of these uh, Canaanites or uh, Girgashites or Hittites, they would have doused their fire and headed over the hill. But the Israelites, no. They headed towards the trouble to to righteously protect their community. Uh, and when they got there, they weren't going to pull out their cell phones and video what was going on in that camp. They were going to pull out their swords and make a difference. And pretty soon, like Eli Wallach in the movie Magnificent Seven, he says, uh, Hittites should only rob other Hittites. <laughs> they should not rob those Israelites. Because when you rob an Israelite, a whole army shows up to get you. You know, so we've already referenced a couple of movies <laughs> in this talk. But th- these are messages telling you 
that you have to come together in order to protect one another. Well, you don't, you don't do that if you only come together to protect one another when people with sharp, pointy things show up. You have to come together to protect one another on a day-to-day basis. And this is why the early church had a daily ministration. To, and why pure religion was taking care of the needy of the of your community, you know, widows, orphans, and needy of your society, is because that creates social bonds. That when real bad stuff happens, you'll be there for you, each other. The reason why we just spent two years wearing masks and people taking—I know all kinds of people that are having all kinds of medical problems from taking the vaccination. Of course, you're not supposed to say that. You could get censored, but I, that's just what I know. I, I, I know I know way more people that died within days after getting the vaccination, and I don't know hardly anybody who died of COVID, except for maybe one I've heard of, uh, personally heard of. I never met him that had other, you know, morbidities, and then. I don't know exactly what he died of. Was it really COVID or were there other complications? But anyway, we've talked a lot about that. But the point is, is that that would have never happened if all the people in America who say they are Christians actually had the same hierarchy of values as Christ, as Moses, as God has been trying to explain to us for generation upon generation. It just not, it would not have happened. Because we care about our neighbor as much as we care about ourselves. When you start not doing that on a regular basis, it begins to sear your conscience, cloud your vision. You know, when you reject the idea of being there for your neighbor, I'm not talking, to, again, about people showing up with pointy things. I'm talking about protecting them from destitution protecting them from you know they get injured they could destitute a family I know a guy uh, I'm going to meet him this afternoon he evidently was a construction worker and he fell off a uh, building and was blinded and received other injuries as well but he lost his sight so the reality is is who helps him who goes to his aid is it going to be the government? I thought you guys were supposed to be the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. It used to be, if you fell off a roof, thatch in a roof in England, and got injured, the church in your local community would help you out. They're the ones that would come to your aid. Not, not the government. As a matter of fact, back in the 1800s, when... Alexis Tocqueville came through the country. He said, that's what made America great. Because we were still doing that. In Europe, they were starting this idea. It didn't just start in the 1800s. We, we show you how it was introduced way back in 1050s. 1066. And, and around that period. 1090, actually. Uh, they imposed a tax on the people. That was going to go to the church. But the church then was building all the hospitals and libraries and, and teaching people the things they need to take care of one another. They're, they're the ones 
I mean, you would call a minister uh, back then if there was an injury in the family. Because he often knew what to do. And there, there was a minister for every ten families. And, you know, this is this is the way society helped one another and it made society stronger and stronger. It's the social bonds that Dr. Malone was talking about that we need to recreate. Well, how do you recreate them? You read a book, you listen to a DVD, is that going to recreate those social bonds? The only thing that's going to recreate those social bonds is actually do what Christ said. can't just talk about it for an hour on the weekends or have somebody else do all the talking and you just sit there in the pew. You actually have to be taking care of one another. And, yeah, you everybody can't leave their job and everybody's not good at it. You know, um, and 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 there's skills involved sometimes with taking care of people, like in health situations. We take care of a lot of livestock. We take care of a lot of people too. Uh, but the reality is, is that we we're learning constantly on how to do this, and we actually see people in the medical profession, some, not many, that are starting to realize. That the way of pharmaceutica is not always the solution. It's not always the answer. And some people are starting to realize that government is not always the answer. Because at the time of Jesus Christ, when they were saying he was our savior, the Romans already had a savior. Uh, Octavius, which is why they call him Augustus. Augustus Caesar. He was the sauter of Rome, the savior of Rome. And he provided a daily ministration. We call it free bread. He also provided circuses. Jesus didn't really provide the circuses. (laughs) You have to to play your own music and do your own entertainment. That's not what church is about. But Jesus provided the free bread through charity. Augustus supplied the free bread through legal charity, what Alexis Tocqueville called legal charity. And that legal charity was the dainties of the king. And Proverbs 23 tells you the dainties of the king, if you have an appetite for the dainties of the king, to put a knife to your throat because they're deceitful meats. And, and Paul tells you that they'll, they're a snare. And and he's just quoting David who said that what should have been for your welfare has become a snare. We've known this for thousands of years. The modern Christian doesn't know it. They still keep going to men who exercise authority and call themselves benefactors to get their benefits. And they have fallen prey to the merchants of men. They have become human resources. They have become a surety for debt. Which is Deuteronomy talking about if you went the ways of God, you he would get rid of the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Hittites. He would defeat them. You don't have to defeat them. You don't have to do war against them. You have to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness by sitting down and organizing yourselves and taking care of one another through charity. Verse 2. 
And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Well, that's a lot of words. What do they mean? Shall we read it in the Hebrew? <laughs> We'd be here all day if we were going through the Hebrew. And it would just confuse you. But just let's take the word smite, you know, that we see here in, in the text. What, what does that mean? What, where, where else do we see? What word did they put there for smite? I've got a little footnote there. tells you that the word smite is nakan. That it's uh, it's a word, it's a primitive root word, nun kaf he. And so, what does nun kaf he mean? It, it says that the word could mean to strike or smite or hit or beat or slay or kill. That That's a wide range there. But what does it really mean? Because it's also translated given. And it has, you know, 13 other miscellaneous translations. 348 times it's translated smite. And we don't have time to go through all the places that it's translated smite. It actually says in the definition here that's in the concordance, smite, attack, uh, attack and destroy, conquer, subjugate, ravage. Lot. How can a word mean all these different things? You know, because smiting somebody and ravaging them is considerably different. So, what what is the real meaning of the word in this context? That might be something we want to look at. Well, I, I went into it a little bit here, and I'm not going to be able to go into it as deep as we could, but we'll take a one thing when we we see this word show up in the text. It's not spelled nun kaf hey. It has additional letters. It actually begins with vav. Hey, kaf, yod. Tav, mem. That's the actual word you see there in the Hebrew context. In in, in what original scripts, the earliest scripts that we have. And that's not the same as nun kaf hay. There isn't even a nun in it. Uh, there is a hay, but the hay is now in front of the kaf. And after the kaf, there's a yod, which is the divine spark. And so, what are we looking at here? And, and then after the yod, the divine spark is the letter tav, which stands for faith. And then after the letter tav is the letter Mem, which has to do with flow. So we're talking about the divine spark flowing faith in your Vav He Kaf. Vav is a separation word, and so we have He Kaf. So you really only have Kaf there that as a part of, well, you do have He, but it's in front of the Kaf instead of behind it. All this changes the meaning of the word. And, and those hundreds of other times that the same word is found in the Bible... There's dozens of different variations of that word. The idea that you can put the word destroy in place of all those different words 
is a recipe for deception and confusion. Because the author didn't just write those words, you know, those letters. Nun hey. You don't just see those letters there in the text. They wrote other letters to mean other things. So, that are you really supposed to destroy those things? Or are you supposed to separate yourself from those things with the divine spark in your own hearts and minds and faith in action? Because that's what mem is flow. So it's faith flowing in action. That's what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to hit them. And, but it's, but what, somebody will say, but it says utterly destroy. <laughs> so we should destroy. I mean, I'm reading the Bible text. I know what it says. I don't need a dictionary. I don't need to look at anything else. I know what it says. Well, if the Holy Spirit was in you, you would know, wait a minute, something wrong here. That does, that's not what the Holy Spirit is telling me this says. If you've been fooled, I, I mean, I can get along with them writing it the way they did in the King James. I'm not trying to change the King James. The King James is what it is. But this, this word that we see translated destroy. Let's see, do I have this mixed up here? I think it's Chet Resh Mem. We don't see Chet Resh Mem there. We see something else. It is translated destroy 34 times. But it's uh, also translated devote. Uh, it's it's actually translated once, consecrate. Another time, forfeited. One time it's translated flat nose. <laughs> so I, I go, what does that mean? What, what, are they, uh, what are they trying to tell us? What does the word actually mean? Like I said, originally the, the base word is Chet Resh Mem. Uh, but the word we actually see in this particular text... Like the word we saw before in Smite is Tov Chet Resh Yod Mem. So before the Mem, the other Chet Resh Mem, uh, which uh, Chet is a word that means kind of life force, uh, the dynamic, natural cause and effect. So the cause and effect in the life force creates a process of clarification which is the resh that's what resh it, it means there and the mem has again to do with flow the fountain of water the flow the, the movement of something and so that chet resh mem is talking about this cause and effect the, that is built into the system resh and will flow Automatically, and eventually either bring the blessings of God or the wrath of God, depending on whatever it is that you're doing. But when he's telling us, supposedly to destroy, you know, a word also meaning devote and consecrate sometimes, he's put a tav in front of that, which is faith. And 
Chet, Resh, Yod, Mem. The divine spark causes the flow. The what's going to happen. So we can see right there it isn't smite and destroy like hitting them with an axe or a sharp thing. It has to do with faith. And he's put faith in both those words. Smite and destroy. And so they don't really mean what you think they mean when you say the word destroy. But we'll have to come back to find out the other words they have in there. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're reading this uh, this verse uh, 2 in uh, Deuteronomy 7. And it said, And then the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee. So it's God who's delivering them. Thou shalt smite them. But the word smite there doesn't involve an axe or sword or any of those things. It actually says that it involves faith. The divine spark and the flow of faith of the of the of you. Because he's saying, Thou shalt have the flow of faith. Smite them with faith. Smite them with truth. And and, and separate yourself from the ways of unrighteousness. And we'll see more of that how the word the letter for righteousness is added into some of the words in this particular chapter. But if you look at it, there's there's almost ten places where they say destroy. Destroy, like the Daleks. There's another movie. <laughs> uh, they, they aren't. That's not what the Israelites are supposed to be. They're not supposed to be destroyers. They were supposed to be a priest to all nations and show them the way of righteousness. So thou shalt not smite them with your sword, but smite them with righteousness. And utterly destroy, not utterly destroy them, but again through faith. And, and, and this righteousness of God. Divide them, you know, when they won't repent, divide them from yourself, but you give them the opportunity of choosing the way of God. Nobody's doing that now. Certainly Christians aren't doing that. I just had the interview, which we should be able to upload this week sometime, with the people in Australia and New Zealand. And, you know, one was, you know, always kind of a Christian, and that the other one, that's not his background. But, uh, because he was actually repelled by what he sees, or is presented as, I think is the word he used, Christianity today. And I understand that. Of course, now resenting those non-believing believers is not the solution either. We have to even love our enemy. Uh, But the fact is, most of Christianity is in a state of apostasy and we're going to show you how they got there and what are those stumbling blocks, what they look like so that you don't stumble over them too. Because I can show you, go back to the second and third century, uh, you can go back to the biblical text itself and you can see what people are doing, what the Pharisees did that became a stumbling block. But then after it says this, you know, doesn't really say smite with your sword or destroy like burn up, except with righteousness. It says, thou shalt make no covenants with them. That's a whole statement in itself. 
And of course, that's part of the Ten Statements. Make no covenants with them. I should put a link in there to the Ten Statements so you know where where that idea came from. Because this is in Deuteronomy already. They know know about the Ten Statements. It's showing you how God's universe works. Nor show mercy unto them. Wait a minute. No mercy? But isn't Christ a, a merciful God? Well, what are they really saying there? Uh, if you if you go back to the original text, and, and or you you look up in your concordance or most Bible softwares, they'll they'll tell you that you know the Strong's number is two six zero three, and the word is Chanan, uh, which is Chet Nun Nun, and uh, that that word means show favor or be gracious. You're not supposed to show favor or be gracious to them. Now, I'll give you an example of what they really mean uh, in real life. With real cops and robbers, <laughs> who are also cops. <laughs> uh, there was actually an interesting case, I think it was down in Arizona, where uh, the local police department was arresting the sheriff. <laughs> Which is... Really kind of tricky, you know. Like, you better have a good case if you're going to be arresting the sheriff. Uh, but, anyway, we'll talk about that if we have time. Uh, otherwise, we'll save it for another show. But, uh, that's not the word that we see there in the text again. <laughs> if you actually go to the text, instead of the, you know, I'm, I think the concordance is great. It's great to give you an idea. And ultimately, it should be the Holy Spirit that says to you, the, there's something wrong here. There's something missing. And, of course, it, it showed me that this morning, about 4.30, when I got to this part of the verse, which is the second verse. Because <laughs> uh, it said that I was supposed to revisit Deuteronomy 7 to talk to you today. Well, the word that we actually see there, there's an additional letter in it. Wow. As a matter of fact, there's additional letter in it twice. There's two additional letters. And there's a letter missing. <laughs> but they still, you know, if you just look at your concordance, you're going to think that it's this word that means, you know, uh, show no favor. Which is not really show no mercy. It's show no favor. It's, it's not really mean not to have grace towards somebody. It means show no favor. And I keep repeating that so that it kind of sinks in. But the word that they actually have there in that place is begins with a letter that we heard already. The Tov! <laughs> Again, they've added the word, the letter Tov, that stands for faith at the beginning of this word. And they removed one of the nuns. One of the nuns has got. Now, nuns... You know, it's what swims in the mem. It's the fish in the mem. It's it's what's going through this flow. Now, they didn't put a yod in there, like we see with the destroy, but they don't really need it because this is showing no mercy. But it says, Tov, Chet, Nun, Mem. So again, this is, this showing no mercy needs to be consistently a flow. And it's not showing no mercy. It's showing no favor. And, and now is a good time to tell you the story of the sheriff and the chief of police. 
down in this town. It's a funny name to the town. I can't remember it. I'm bad at names, sorry. You might be able to find it uh, without the name. But uh, it's, I, I'm pretty sure it's in Arizona. But anyway, there was a question of the uh, sheriff doing some illegal activities. And somebody brought charges against the sheriff for these illegal activities. And uh, one of the charges was a misdemeanor. And, of course, it goes to a magistrate court first. And a magistrate court, if they need to gather evidence and they have enough evidence to gather evidence, he will give them a search warrant. And I'm sure a magistrate was very careful in giving a search warrant uh, for the sheriff's phone, uh, his work phone, and his private phone. And that's what they did. They issued a warrant for the sheriff's private phone and his work phone. So you're going to go and take those phones away from him. And uh, and so they send in a police officer to do this. The, evidently, the chief of police is outside somewhere and can be called. I don't know if he was nearby, but they did call him. And uh, they they asked to see the sheriff. The sheriff came up and he handed the sheriff a warrant issued by a magistrate and uh, for his phones. And he took his phones out of his pocket and he handed them to one of his lieutenants, which is also a sheriff, the sheriff's office. That's not what you do when you're given a warrant. And he knows that. He's an officer of the court. Uh, you You want to contest a warrant. You want to talk to your lawyer. You can do so. And you can give them the, the phones. You could probably even put them in a plastic bag, because there's two of them, and hand it to them. So he could open it if he wanted to, but then you could warn him that I'm contesting this warrant. So don't go through those phones until you hear from my lawyer. And unless there was... You know, an immediate urgency to go through the phones, like somebody's kidnapped and buried somewhere, and you have to find them. Uh, you you should respect that, but he has to release those phones. That's the law. He knows the law. He's sworn to uphold the law. So is the so is the police officer, because he's got an order from the court. They didn't give it to the sheriff's department, which is normally who would issue you know, enforce a warrant like that. But they gave it because the the sheriff's office is compromised. They gave it to the chief of police and he gave it to one of his officers and the officer is trying to... Now they're filming this whole thing. Well, you know, during the next several minutes, not only does the sheriff leave, you know, contesting the warrant uh, to go talk to his attorney... But the lieutenant leaves with the phones. <laughs> well, you can start erasing things on your phones if you do that. You could actually even switch phones. That looks like the sheriff's phone, but it's actually somebody else's phone. And he wouldn't know unless he opened it up and looked at it. But we know that the phones came out of his pocket because that was on the video. Okay, so now, these two guys are wandering around in the sheriff's office, not with the officers. The officer, the, the chain of evidence has now been disrupted because you're no longer seeing the chain of evidence. And then the, they call the police chief and he comes in there and shakes hands and says that, you know, out of mutual respect, I want you to honor this warrant. And then the sheriff's trying to say that the, 
the case has been moved to district court, and so the warrant has to be issued by the district court? No, it doesn't. District court often sends a warrant down. If somebody requests a warrant, sends it down to a magistrate court, supposedly to get, you know, a third party's opinion of this, the legitimacy of the warrant to be issued that's outside of the hands of the court. Now, they can issue warrants, but they often don't. Well, this started down in the magistrate, so they've issued a warrant. It doesn't matter where where it's gone. It could be in the Supreme Court now. If the warrant was issued, it's a warrant. He knows this. Like I say, sheriffs are officers of the court. They're the chief enforcers of the courts. Now, this is the way their system is. We can talk about how God's system works, but like we talked about in a previous show that we released already on the network, Pacta Savanda Sun, that's one of the rules of their legal system is agreements must be kept. Christ knew this. And this is the, the critical strategy in Christ. This is why in the Ten Statements, thou shalt make no covenants, because those are the Pactas that create the Savanda Sun. Agreements must be kept, you know, uh, must be kept, Servanda. That's a lot like servant. <laughs> you become servants to the agreements and to the gods of those agreements. Because often when you make an agreement, you say the remedy is in equity or the remedy is at law. Now they don't say that anymore because all the remedies are in the legal system. Because nobody's at law. Because you've all abandoned the ways of God. So anyway, we've got this word. Oh, should I finish the story? What happened? Well, they eventually turned over the, the lieutenant turned over the phones. They locked down, the chief of police locked down the whole sheriff's department so nobody could leave. They had armed people at all the doors. You cannot leave. And, uh, they did not like that. They're not used, men of authority often are not used to the fact that somebody else is, has an authority over you. And it wasn't the police department that had authority over the sheriff's department. It was that warrant issued by a judge. And he's an officer of that court. He has to obey the court. That, that's the position he's put himself into by his oath of office. So anyway, uh, they eventually handed the two phones out to the police officers. They took them. And guess what? They had switched phones. <laughs> None of none of them were the phones that they were looking for. <laughs> and now, if he had taken them out of his pocket and put them in a plastic bag and put them there uh, and handed them to him, but asked him not to leave till he talked to his lawyer, uh, he probably would have cooperated with that, and then he probably would have ended up leaving with the phones, uh, and he would have had the right phones. But they played shell game with the police department, and therefore played it with the court. So the next scene is the sheriff going away in handcuffs. <laughs> so, so anyway, the point is, and this was the criticism of this deal, was the police officer gave mutual respect to the sheriff and let him do what he would have let no other issue, uh, you know, uh, person who received a warrant. They would, if they had a warrant for your phone, they're not going to let you walk around somewhere else with a phone before you turn it over. You're turning it over right now. But he showed favor to the sheriff. And 
got snookered in the process <laughs> and and led to more serious charges because there is like three more charges that that's obstruction of justice and uh, not just government administration but uh, th- that now what was the misdemeanor is now a felony so i'm just giving you that as an example but that is what this word means it doesn't mean not be merciful like god's mercy it means don't show favor what happened when King Saul showed favor to another king and Samuel came in and saw that he had showed favor to this king who was a murderer and a scoundrel and Samuel pulled out his sword and just cut his head off and because he was showing favor not mercy favor and that word should not be translated mercy because it it creates confusion you can translate it mercy but it's it's creating confusion. And I'm not picking on the King James. It is what it is. I'm just telling you what we're supposed to believe. If you're going to believe in the Bible, you have to believe in the original text, not the misunderstandings you get from a translation. And so, right there, we've got only two verses so far. <laughs> but in that one verse two, there's a huge amount of confusion uh, because destroy isn't destroy like you know if I say destroy you might think one thing if somebody else does you might think another but the Hebrew word clearly says that you destroy with your faith with the divine spark and the practice of faith and that faith is also present in the your favor showing favor Faith in what? Faith in the righteousness of God. And this brings us to the double tov, which actually doesn't show up till later in this, and I don't know if we'll get to it. We may end up being two shows in this. But I think it's really important because this is going to come together very important when we see the Elvira of the Dark. And every time I think of it, there there was a synod called Elvira. At least that that's the way the word is translated. It's actually a Spanish word originally, but we see it. It's written a lot of times. If you search it, you'll find it, Synod of Elvira, which is not the first place, but an earlier place. is 20 years before the first uh, ecumenical council at Nicaea. And some of the same people that were at that Elvira were also at that other one, and it created a controversy some of the things they decided in that original Elvira council was a step into darkness. And it was a step towards idolatry. And we're going to show you that. We're going to show you it piece by piece eventually in the, in the series. But it, it led to some of the uh, apostasy that we see coming through the conflicts and how they resolve the conflicts that came out of the Council of Nicaea and and the misconceptions that have just came down generation after generation to us. So we're going to tie all this together. So it's very important that you understand that seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness is not about seeking some sort of emotional comfort by going to a church that has great music or makes you feel good. Or talks about really nice things. It's actually showing you 
how to put your faith into action. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. So is this some sort of misogyny thing? <laughs> no. Doesn't really have anything to do with that. You have to understand the structure. This is before the kings. This is Deuteronomy. Where they had no king in Israel. For hundreds and hundreds of years, no king in Israel. And they operated as a nation that was undefeatable. They didn't always operate the way they should, but there was enough of them that they were getting by pretty good. We don't have a lot of detailed history of that period. We see conflicts, but a lot of people don't understand where the conflicts are, partially because of the way they translate things, mostly because we don't have the Holy Spirit. But if we understood the fundamentals of that nature, so you got a nation with no king, no income tax, no property tax, everybody owns their own land, everybody is a member of a family, they're not a member of a nation, they're a member of a family, they are a nation, they are a people, but they're peculiar people because what unites them is love for one another. Because they love their neighbor as themselves. And the reason they gather together is to consummate that love for one another. Because they have to care about the next family as much as they care about their own. They have to care about the families on the other side of Israel, which is not a geographical location. As far away as Israel Israelites were going, you have to care about them as much as you care about your own family. You have to be willing to cast your bread upon the waters in the hands of men to manifest that mercy, that righteousness, that priest to all nations, which will bring in eventually the red heifer, which we have an article on. What was the red heifer? That was casting your bread upon the, your neighbor. That was not a part of your free assemblies. He was just a neighbor outside of your nation. Had nothing to do with red cows. And we go through that in detail. If you don't believe me, go read our article on Red Heifer at PreparingYou.com. But, so, what, when they had kings, what did the kings, how did the kings make covenants with other kings? They married their daughters. They, that, that, Kind of made them a part of the family. It created unions between them. But in Israel, every head of every family was king in his own house. Because there was no king. They didn't need any income tax because they had tithing. And you, and you had power over what you tithed because you only tithed to the minister of your choice according to his service. Quote, unquote. According to his service. You're doing a good job, you get the tithing. You're not doing a good job, you pick somebody else. Oh man, that straightens people up right away. I would have straightened that sheriff up. <laughs> but you would need a population, and we're going to get into this in some of the videos that we're preparing. You need a population that is seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Because a population who cares more about themselves than their neighbor, they're just going to vote in the benefits. 
that they're not going to vote in righteousness because what is important to because their hierarchy of values they're at the top. You're not at the top. See, it's not good enough that if that your family is at the top of your hierarchy of values. Jesus says that you have if you love your family more than the righteousness of God. That's not good enough. You have to love other people's families. I mean, if you're made in the image of God originally, and God loves the whole world that he's willing to give his only begotten son, that they might be saved, shouldn't you be willing to do the same thing? If God is in you? Oh, absolutely. Not exactly how that plays out. I mean, you can imagine all kinds of ridiculous scenarios. But the Holy Spirit will show you if you find the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit finds you. And eventually, that's what you have to learn. And I'm just setting the groundwork. I'm just plowing the field so that we can plant the seeds of God so that the Holy Spirit may breathe life where there was dead soil. So, by intermarrying with these people who are not doing what God says to do, if they continue to not do what God said, because that's what makes them Canaanites, is that they're willing to be merchants of men. They're willing to make men surety. They're willing to make men human resources. Your children should not be marrying with the people that are willing to do that. They should be marrying with people that are beginning to see the righteousness of God and seeking the righteousness of God, which is this other system of government, another form of government. The church is defined as one form of government, but all those guys out there in other churches or all over the world that are claiming to be Christian are neither doing what Christ said, plus they're incorporated to the world. They're not established by Christ, they're established by the world. And they have the nature of the world in them. A lot of people think, well, now how do I unincorporate my church? That's not the important thing. Is how do you incorporate Christ into your day-to-day administration and your day-to-day actions? If you do that, the unincorporating part is fairly easy. But if you don't do that, it's going to lead to disaster. Because you will still still be living in darkness, but you will be uh, pretending to be in the light. Which is, you know, our IBT case in the Indianapolis Baptist Temple. And which we have another article on that. Uh, that's that's where they were. Uh, and I was there. I read the court documents. I, you know, uh, my father was a lawyer in Redding, California, which is where their lawyer lived. And so I had a lot of insight to the case that other people would not have gotten. Uh, and but the real insight is the fact that. I know the Father. And he showed me. He put me there to tell them. I was actually acting as a messenger. But that's in that story. You'll have to look that up on our websites. Uh, we're going to go to another break and see if we can get a couple more verses in here. We're going to move a little faster. We'll be right back. So the point of uh, not marrying into these other families uh, that uh, were from the Canaanites is those families were raised up into this idea and these systems of Canaan that made merchants of men, made men subject. And you didn't want to get 
your family involved with that because then the wife or the husband will start pulling the uh, your child into the progressive socialism of Canaan. Uh, now, you didn't hear me use that word before, but uh, in this program, but that's what Canaan was. It was a progressive socialist state because that's how you make merchants of men is you offer them all kinds of benefits. Those benefits come from other workers who work really hard and they produce a lot and you work very little and you don't produce as much, but you have a government that redistributes the wealth so that everybody has a fair share. They call it a fair share, but the guy who worked really hard, he loses. Everybody doesn't receive according to his work, but according to his need. Now, like I said in one of the last shows, is that redistribution of wealth exists in the kingdom of God. But in the kingdom of God, the only entity that has the power to redistribute the wealth that you produce is you. Because the kingdom of God is a capitalist society. I mean, a real capitalist society, not what you have today in America. And if you don't understand what I mean by that, go back and listen to the previous shows. (laughs) Because uh, God gave you dominion. And he gave you a wife. Or you found one. Hopefully, it was through the leading of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you might be in a lot of trouble. But uh, the reality is, is that now you're one. And that you've, when you have children, now you become a family. And that family is a unit in God's eyes. In God's government. And it's only that unit that has the right to decide how to redistribute the wealth that you produce. And if you do everything else that God says, then there will be no inordinately rich men. Uh, and the rich will not oppress the people in your midst. But now if you decide to gather together in some sort of Canaanite government and stumble over the air of Balaam and the Nicolaitans, then you may end up with a government that will start redistributing some of the wealth that you produce on your behalf. And it will force the collection of that wealth and you'll find yourself back in the bondage of Egypt, which is mentioned many times in this same chapter. And we'll get into that. And that's what you've done. Is you've been slothful in the ways of God. You didn't even understand them. Your churches aren't even teaching them to you. So, you know, I'm not here to judge. But this is the process that has gone on. And this is the problem. All you have to do is think differently. Understand the process and start going that way. But then you may have to readjust your hierarchy of values. Now you can say, well, I'm going to believe in God. Well, great. How do I know you really know who God is and you really believe in God? I just look at your hierarchy of values. What and, and the way to look at that is what are you doing? And of course that's what James says. That's actually what Paul says. And that's why he says these guys that are doing this, this, and this, and this, their hierarchy of values is not God's hierarchy of values. And so you turn away from those guys. Don't have your sons and daughters marrying them. Because they're going to warp them their way. Because you have to practice 
seeking the kingdom of God. You have to persevere at it. So, for they will turn away the sons from the following of me. And they may serve other gods. Who are those gods? The gods of those Canaanite systems. The ruling judges of those systems. From the magistrate who can issue a warrant that you may have to obey because Pacta Zavanda Sunt agreements have to be kept. Sheriff made an agreement with the corpse. That's how he gets his paycheck. And so now he has to obey him. He didn't obey him, so he ended up in handcuffs. And that's the wrath of God. Because that's cause and effect. God's not going to stop him from putting handcuffs on him. I've had guys want to put handcuffs on me. So far they haven't. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to tempt God though. Uh, but uh, I, I know agreements must be kept. And I have an agreement with God. I don't have agreements with other gods. So, but that's not enough. You have to also have the heart of God. And the mind of God. And that will set the hierarchy of your values so that you're not trying to save yourself any more than you're trying to save everybody else. Because Christ didn't come to save himself. If he came to save himself, he never got on the cross. He came to save others that they might be saved. But they may have to repent and start seeking the kingdom of God and they got to know what the kingdom of God is. It's one form of government that does not operate like the governments of the Canaanites. So in verse 5 it says, But thus shall we deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, burn their graven images with fire. I could put like six more links in there to articles we've already covered on this. But the word we're going to look at right now because we've got a limited amount of time is destroy. So, I mean, we just had destroy in verse 4, and we have destroy in verse 5. And we had destroy up there in verse 2. There are three different words. They're not the same words. So, what words are they? Well, uh, the word there is shimmim delet, which is translated destroy about 83 times. You notice how the other word was translated destroy hundreds of times. This one is translated destroy 83 times. It has no letters in common. And it's also translated destruction and overthrown. But only a couple of times. Perish. About four other ways. But basically, it's destroy 83 times. Translated destroy. But that's shin mem delet. Which, what do you think that means? Shin Mim Delet. Shin is the eternal flame of Revelation. It, it's supposed to be the eternal flame of Revelation, but if you're up there in the tree of knowledge, you're not going to get a lot of Revelation. You get Revelation over there in the tree of life. Another whole story. But it is the divine essence. And the Holy Spirit, as we'll see uh, referenced by other writers like Origen and other, is the essence of Christ and is the essence of God the Father. And I'm using that word. It'll come up later. But that's 
that's what the shin is, this eternal flame of revelation. But you can receive revelation from unclean unclean spirits if you're not careful. But anyway, the second letter is mem. Again, that fountain, that flow. So it's in the middle. There's this flow of this revelation flow. And delet is selflessness, charity. You know, somebody was telling me, speaking in tongues is the only outward sign of, you know, being saved. That you need to speak in tongues. And he just goes on and on about this. And so I finally wrote an article on tongues. But uh, we'll have to do that at another time. (laughs) But that, that is absolutely absurd. And he doesn't even know what speaking in tongues is. As far as I could tell, I didn't meet the guy. But, uh, but anyway, the, the shin mem delet word that, that is the root word of whatever word is there. Uh, I can tell you what word is there. It's bob hey shin mem yod delet cough. Whole lot of letters added in there. Bob hey shin mem. Shin mem is there. Uh, Delet is there, but they put a yod, that divine spark, in front of the delet. And then a cough afterwards. So what do all those letters mean? Well, you know, it's it's a completely different word. Uh, I mean, there is some relationship to the original word, but it doesn't mean destroy, and it doesn't mean destroy like the other word destroy that we saw, which was Chet Resh Mem. So, what's going on here? Why do we have all these different words for, <laughs> for destroy? Uh, you can see you're missing some of the richness of the text. But the text isn't going to save you. The text is given to us and it's a great gift. Uh, although, you know, translators are traitors uh, often. And there's lots of translations out there. But... Uh, the reality is that's not the that's not the key solution. Well, what's the other word that we see translated destroy uh, in in the following verse that we just read? Uh, it's it's an interesting word as well. Uh, it's a nun tov zedek, and it's got the tov in it again, and it's got the the letter zedek in it, which stands for righteousness, and Nun, which is the fish that swims in that flow, you know, it's what passes through that flow, and it is translated break down, throw down, uh, break down about 22 times, throw down five times. Five times it is translated destroy. So they put the word destroy here. Nun, Tov, Zedek. And, uh, is that actually the word that we see in the text? If we looked at the text, what do you think? You know, well, nope. <laughs> because they're trying to tell you something with Deuteronomy. Uh, you know, this is, we saw Chet Resh Mem and Shin Mem Delet, which had all kinds of extra letters added. So does this word. Which is, uh, or this word is Shin Mem Delet. What was the other one? I uh, actually escapes me at the moment. But it's this, uh, Bob Hay Shin Mem Yad Delet Kof. Oh, I'm into seven. Where's eight? Anyway, uh, I'll have to go up 
and pull that in. I was been editing this since four o'clock this morning, so I can see that uh, uh, some of this uh, left something to be desired. Uh, Nintov Zedek in verse uh, five, and that is. The actual words there that we see translated into destroy their altars is, uh, oh yeah, that's why I need to add more notes. I I saw it, but I haven't written it in there yet, but I will write it in there and you'll see it then. Instead of what those letters that I mentioned, we actually need to put in Tov, Tov, Zedek. Bob. I just ran out of time to put all this stuff in there. So you're supposed to destroy their altars, their sacred pillars, depending on how you look at this, with Tov Tov Zedek Vav. That's what separates you from them. Tov Tov is a double Tov. And the double Tov which is where we were starting. So I guess we've made full circle, at least on this show, although there's a lot more to this this chapter, is when you actually have faith in spirit and truth. I know a lot of people tell me they have faith, but they're not doing what Christ said. And Christ said that that's, and James said, that's how you tell. Even Paul says it. That's how you tell. Peter says it. That's how you tell. Covetous practices will make you merchandise. It's the snare. It's the balm. It's the Nicolaitan. It's the stumbling blocks of them. And covetous practices, everywhere you go in all the churches uh, that I know of, just about, they'll tell you that it's okay. Your minister will tell you it's okay to desire the benefits of government. They'll send you to the government to get benefits. Even though they know the government is bankrupt, it's only borrowing money against the future of your children. It's only giving you what it's taken away from somebody else. But you go there. That's a covetous practice. And Peter says that will make you merchandise. Christ says you're not to be that way. Peter says you're not to be that way. Paul says you're not to be that way. They all say you're not to be that way. Moses said it. God said it in the Ten Statements. But the modern religion, which is not pure religion, says it's okay. If you want to take care of the widows and orphans, it's okay to go to the men who exercise authority one over the other and take away from your neighbor and call it love, I call it covetousness, in order to have those benefits. And you can you can mention this to people over and over again, and they just it's the deer in the headlights looks. You know why the deer are staring at you in the headlights? Because they can't see anything. Because they lived in darkness. It, this is not a daytime thing. It's when you come on a deer in the dark, and all of a sudden they see headlights. They can't see anymore at all. All they can see is headlights. Because they lived, they were living in darkness till you drove up with your car. And this is the, the look you get. Because they're living in darkness. They think it's okay to covet their neighbor's good. And that's the problem. You can do something about that problem. And if you do something about that problem, stop coveting your neighbor's goods. Admit that you've been doing it. And start to repent. Think differently. Realize that's wrong. Start going the other way which is the way of Christ, start creating a daily administration through your assemblies 
that takes care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity. If you don't do that, you will not be free. And God will not drive out the Hittites and the Gurkites or whatever they were. <laughs> all those guys. All the Canaanites. You know, one of the things we talked about before in earlier shows, the archaeologists going through uh, the archaeological remains of the ancient civilizations at the time Israel was supposed to be coming in to there. And that's in question to some degree. But from what the archaeological digs that I've observed say, they don't find any evidence that these areas were conquered by violence. And I don't think there were. There were skirmishes. There were battles. But it... Uh, many of the people joined with the Israelites, started becoming like the Israelites to defeat the tyrants that were ruling over their lives and wreaking havoc. They had to let go of a lot of other things that were wreaking havoc in order to cleanse their communities of all the diseases. But they did, that, that was the application that Moses was teaching through his statutes. He wasn't making laws. He was giving you sound advice on how to do things. But you tear down their altars by building up the altars of God. The altars of God were the altars of Abraham and the altars of Moses, of made of clay and stone, but it wasn't dead stone. It was living stone, just like what Christ is saying. Lively stones. Because the gathering of stones was the gathering of men in the Hebrew language. And you go read our article of Sacrifice and Sophistry. I should put that link in there. So that you understand. Well, I'll put a link to altars. I think I already did. Uh, but you need to understand that you have to have this double taw faith in your mind and in your heart. And then it will be in your actions. That's what, you know, your heart is the is the organ that pumps the blood that allows you to move your arms and legs. When the heart stops, the arms and legs stop flailing around, at least pretty soon. And so, that's essential. And Christ said, not those who just say, those who do. It has to be double faith. You have to put your faith into action. And if you're gathering with people and, and telling them that, oh, this will never work. Then you're not really with the people. You're just you're just subverting the the way. It, it will never work for you. Absolutely, I agree. But other people, you know, we we could we could uh, excommunicate those people, <laughs> except for the fact that we'd be making we'd be part of the great unmooring, the great falling away. Uh, the great apostasy that we'll, we'll cover when we start covering the, uh, uh, the Synod of Elvira, Mistress of Darkness. Um, and, but that's not the way. Even the word breakdown, uh, in the, this, uh, you see it over and over again, in word after word, in, in the, the text of Deuteronomy. They slip in the Tov. Uh, because it's faith. That makes the difference. But it has to be faith in the hierarchy of God. In the hierarchy of values of God. Which you should all know. If somehow or other people think that no. My benefit is more important than my neighbor. So I've hired these guys I call government to take away from my neighbor. So that I can have more free stuff. And it's it's getting really out of hand. And they're, 
and now the the whole society is broke down. And and we saw it with you know when you break down the family, you remove the father from the family, which they did with social welfare, which was their intention with people like Cloward and Piven and and uh, although Woodrow Wilson didn't think it out very good, but he was part of that. Certainly FDR was a part of that. They didn't necessarily understand, but it, I don't. I know that bad things can come about because of good men with bad ideas. I'm not suggesting these are good men. They're all men, including myself, in need of repentance. But uh, even you know the the sacred pillars has the they have added the letter Tov in in that verse. So it's they're talking to you about faith in the hierarchy of God, the righteousness of God, the way of God, and and we need that. Uh, hierarchy of God. You know, because that word for pillar is normally men, uh, I think it's Zedek, uh, be it, hey. But in the one you see there in the text of Deuteronomy has added a tov, uh to that. So it's actually bav men Zedek, Biet. So there you got that. They had the Bob at the beginning because now they're going to be talking about separation. And they end the word with Tav Mem. Because it's the faith that tears down their pillars, breaks down their altars. But are you living by faith or are you living by force? If you're living by the men who exercise authority and if you become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others taken by force, which is what everybody's done in all these countries, including America, which wasn't going on 150 years ago, but is going on now. This is what's breaking down your society. This is the cause and effect of all the problems in America. It will not be solved by Trump. It will be not solved by Biden. It will not be solved by revolution, violent revolution, but by a revolution of the heart and of the mind. Because you, Dr. Malone was right, you have to recreate the social bonds of righteousness. And, and they have broken down. And there's a reason they have broken down. Even the word we see there for cut down, which in the, uh, in the Hebrew is, uh, what is it in the Hebrew? Ah, Gimel, uh, Delet, uh, Ayan. Uh, Gimel, Gimel is, uh, is a word for cause and effect. Delet is, you know, like a delta, the, you know, the end of the river, so to speak. But, that's not the word we see. You know, that's the word for hue. Absolutely. But here, what we see is tov, nun, delet, an, vav, nun. That's a, that's a different word. But again, it has the letter tov in it, faith. You cut it down with faith. You're not living by faith. You have no chance. I'll even put it in vernacular. You have no chance in hell. 
because that's where you're at, to turn the world around from where it is heading, where it is, the new normal. Unless you deal with this issue of caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself, which is why the New World Order, from the beginning, we've seen it, want to kill care. And nothing kills care more than progressive socialism. And then you have virtue signaling, false care, fake care, where rich men are calling for socialism living in $4 million homes. Anyway, we'll have to continue this another time. And until then, I'm going to say peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.